sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, there's this uh, fairly wealthy businessman, and uh, he had a, his own private jet, and uh, he liked to fly around the country. He, he could live kind of a, a leisurely lifestyle. And uh, he found this professor who had one of the highest IQs of anybody in the United States. And one of the things that he loved to do, he loved to get these people and take them back to his uh, world headquarters for his business and have them do lectures and things like that. And so he went to, to pick this professor up from the university. And uh, the other thing is he was a very kind and generous guy. Uh, so he liked to help people out, and he liked to surprise people with, with rides in his airplane, you know, flights. And so as he's driving along, there's a, a, a guy hitchhiking, kind of scraggly and everything with one of those big backpacks. And, and so he picked them up, and they got to the airport, and there was this mother and child that were, happened to be flying in the, in the same direction he was, and he invited them to come on board the plane. And uh, so he had quite a crew there with him. And they, they went to take off, and they were flying along, and they're going across country. And about halfway across the country, the pilot came out and said, uh, I'm sorry, I, I put it on autopilot right now because there's a serious problem. We're going to crash. There's no way that I can avoid that. And unfortunately, uh, boss, because you brought too many people on the plane, you actually brought one more person than we have uh, uh, parachutes. And, but, you know, I, I've got a wife and a couple of kids, so I'm out of here. And with that, the pilot jumped out of the plane with the parachute. And then they started saying, okay, who, I, what, what's going to happen? And, and the smartest man in the world, he said, well, hey, listen, I can't die. You know, I, I'm, I'm like, like super smart. And so he grabbed a, a parachute and jumped out. And so then they're all, they're all sitting there, and, and the businessman, you know, being the gentleman he is, he says, now, the, the rest of you, you take the remaining parachutes, and, and I will gladly sacrifice my life so you can live. And that, about that point in time, the scraggly uh, homeless guy, he said, oh, don't worry about that. The smartest man in the world just grabbed my backpack and jump out the plane. <laughs> it's an old story. I mean, if you haven't heard that at some point in time... Uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a great old story, but uh, it really pokes a lot of fun at us. It, it makes you think about flying in general. Uh, I, I don't know if you've flown a lot, but I've flown a, a bit, a bit more this year than, and than ever before, actually. And, uh, and after you've flown a, num a number of times, you can almost say the spiel that the, the stewards say at the beginning, you know, this is how you fasten your seatbelt. 
uh, uh, this is a, under your seat's a flotation device. Put it around your head, but don't inflate it until you're out of the plane. Uh, this is the emergency exit. Open it and throw out your fellow passengers. You know, things like that. And you, you kind of learn this over time. And the danger is, though, that you hear it and you hear it and you hear it and you hear it, but you don't really pay attention to it. You don't really listen. And I never really thought about that until I, I heard an interview with a reporter who went through a special training course. It's similar to what they take the, the stewards through uh, to train them uh, for the plane, where they mimic some of the situations that you might be in in the air. And, uh, and he relayed about how frightening it is and how even though you've heard this time after time after time after time, it's amazing how quickly it can go out the window if you're not really paying attention to it. And it made me think a lot about our Christian life because over the years, especially here in London, I cannot tell you the number of times that I've been talking with a Christian and maybe I'll talk about freedom in Christ because, you know, that we're, we're really big on uh, freedom in Christ ministries. We teach a lot about that. That's a foundation of our discipleship as a church. And I can't tell you the number of times, oh, yeah, identity in Christ. Yeah, I, I know that. I know all about that. I, and then I look at their life and I see how messed up they are and how much they're struggling with depression or discouragement or relational problems. And I'm thinking, you know this? then why aren't you living it? And time after time after time, I've seen that. Uh, even over the years here at City Temple, occasionally somebody will come and say, well, I, I don't want to do the Freedom of Christ discipleship course again because I know it all. Uh, you know, I, I really understand. I've been there. I've done that. And I think, well, yeah, maybe you've gone through it three, four times, but really you could probably integrate it a little bit more in your life than you're doing. And that's really the spirit of what Paul is saying here in Philippians. He starts out and he says, finally. Now, when he says the word here that's translated finally doesn't mean that this is his last point. It's a bit like those preachers that tend to go on and on and on and on. And so they'll say, finally, and then they'll preach for another 15 minutes. And finally, they'll preach for another 20 minutes. And finally, they'll preach for another half hour. And then about two hours later, you're not believing it anymore when they say finally. Uh, and, but Paul, that's not what he's saying here. Uh, this word is, now there's a bunch of other things I need to talk to you about. So we've talked about this stuff up to this point in time, now I've got a whole bunch of other issues. So it's a, a bit of a divided time in, in the letter. And he says, and, and brothers, uh, and that's brothers and sisters, uh, he said, rejoice in the Lord. Now he said this before and he's going to say it again. And this is very, very, very important for the Apostle Paul. I'm not going to talk more about it now. I'm going to wait until we get to chapter 4 when we talk about it because he says, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. And so we really want to focus on that. He's, he commands us to rejoice at least four times uh, in this letter. So it's very, very important to Paul. Then he goes on and says, to write you the same things is no trouble for me and is safe for you. In the same way that the stewards have to give this safety announcement every time before we fly 
Paul is saying, I'm going to write to you the same things over and over and over because it doesn't bother me to do that. And actually, it's safe for you because you really need to learn the basic stuff of the Christian life. You really need to know the foundational issues about Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that He was raised bodily from the grave on the third day, that He ascended into heaven. He's going to come again. He lived a sinless life. He was born of a virgin. He's fully God. He's fully human. These kinds of things are absolutely essential. And so Paul is going to repeat them time after time after time. And it's why we, as the body of Christ, we repeat these things over and over and over and over because it's so easy for us to forget the foundation of the Christian life, the essence of the Christian life, and start to think of Christianity as some kind of self-help program or something we do because it's socially beneficial for us uh, or something we do because our family did it and they expect us to do it. And we forget the real reasons why we're here, why we're worshiping God and why we're honoring God. And it's also important for us to repeatedly mention uh, about grace, that we're saved by grace through faith. Grace is absolutely essential. Do you know you're not only saved by grace through faith, but you are being saved by grace through faith, and you will be saved by grace through faith. That's the force of the language. And so there's never a time in our lives when we don't need grace. And there's never a time when we don't need faith. And there's never a time when we don't need to be reminded about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. There's never a time when we don't need to be reminded about holiness and how important holiness is to God. How important it is for us to walk in purity before the Lord. There's never a time when we don't need to be reminded about how we need to have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. How these things are absolutely important and the Spirit of God uh, stirs these things up. There's never a time when we don't need to remember that we're filled with the Spirit of God who conforms us in the image of Christ and then empowers us to do the ministry of Christ. And so Paul says, it's no trouble for me to repeat this. And actually, it is safe for us to hear these messages over and over and over and over and over And we must never assume, just as when we're sitting on that airplane getting ready to take off, we must never assume that we know everything there is to know about the plane should some disaster happen all of a sudden. In the same way, in our Christian life, we should never assume that we know everything that we need to know, that we're living in the way that we need to live, that there's no longer any more improvement for us. And instead, we need to be paying attention because there's always more room to grow. There's always more ministry to do. There's always more things that we need in Christ Jesus to live out because we have a world around us, seven and a half million people within 15 miles of where we sit who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior and who are going to have a Christless eternity. And so we need to be reminded of these things. And that's what Paul is saying here. And then he goes on and he says, now watch out for the dogs. Oh man, now back in those days, they didn't have dogs as pets. Understand, dog was a pretty bad insult. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evildoers. Watch out for the mutilators of the flesh. Now, if you, you had Greek, 
uh, you'd know that Paul is doing a word play here with the word mutilation and the word circumcision. But you don't really need to know that to understand that Paul here is saying some pretty hard things. And he's saying you've got to be careful because there are people out there, people who would even pretend to be Christians, who are not walking the way, who are not doing the things that they need to do. And in particular, Paul here is talking about the group of people they would call the Judaizers, who were saying that in order to be a real Christian, you need to do all the Jewish stuff. So if you want to be a real Christian, you have to be circumcised. If you want to be a real Christian, you have to observe the Sabbath, which is on Saturday, not on Sunday. Uh, If you want to be a real Christian, you've got to follow the Ten Commandments. If you want to be a real Christian, you have to uh, perform ritual purity. If you want to be a real Christian, you've got to do all the stuff that Jews do. And Paul says, watch out for these people, because they think they're doing the right thing, but they're not. They think they're leading you the right way, but they're not, and you have to be careful. This is why Paul is willing to tell us over and over and over and over about the foundations of our faith. We need to be reminded of these things because there are even today people out there who claim to be Christian but are not living the Christian life, who claim to be Christian but are taking advantage of other people who claim to be Christian and seem to be great on the outside, but if you really knew what their life was like on the inside, you wouldn't want to have anything to do with them because they're so corrupted in sinfulness and greed and lust and wrongdoing. And there are people around like that, and that's part of the reason why we need to be reminded of these things. And these people will pretend to be the people of God, but Paul's saying they are not. And then he goes on and says, they're not the people of God. These these Judaizers who mutilate the flesh certainly are not the people of God. But we are the circumcision. And when Paul is saying that, what he means is, we are the covenant people of God. That's what he's saying. We are the covenant people of God. But he uses the word circumcision because it's a great play on the word mutilation. We are the covenant people of God. Now remember, Paul is a Jew. And he's talking to Gentiles. So he's saying, we together, Jews and Gentiles, are now the covenant people of God. We are the people of God. We are the ones who have the covenant. We are the ones that God uh, has entered into a relationship with through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are the ones who have been adopted into God's family. We are the covenant We are the people of God. And we as the people of God, there are three hallmarks that he mentions here. We are the people of God who worship by the Spirit, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who place no confidence in the flesh. First of all, the people of God are those who worship by the Spirit. This word that's translated as worship, if you've been in a a high church Uh, bells and smells kind of thing, and you've heard the word liturgy. That's the Greek form of the word that Paul's using here. We are the liturgy. We practice the liturgy by the Spirit of God. This word refers to what the Levitical priests did in their work in the temple. It's a priestly word. 
It refers to how they did the sacrifices. They led the worship, the temple worship of God. Uh, They led the observances. Have you ever wondered why a Sunday gathering like this is called a worship service? Sometimes we, we don't even think about it. The reason this is called a worship service is because of the word, the Greek word here, that's translated worship. Because the Greek word here means worship and service together. It's worship and service together. So when we call our Sunday gathering a worship service, what we're saying is that we're coming together to serve the Lord and to serve one another in the process of worship, to prepare ourselves to serve the Lord with our lives. That's what it's all about. So the word here, who worship by the Spirit of God, is not referring to singing on a Sunday, or even singing on a Monday, or never on a Tuesday. Oh, sorry, I've got to break into song as a musical or something like that. Uh, It's not about that. It's about how we live our lives. It's about what we do every single day to honor Jesus, to live for the Father, to honor God. And so worship for us as Christians is not just singing. It includes singing. But right now, do you know, if you're sitting and you're listening, you're worshiping. It's worship. If you read the text earlier, that was worship. If you prayed together in a small group, whether or not you spoke or not, that's worship. If you go tomorrow and you say, God, I really want to serve you well in my job today. Help me to do my absolute best in honor to you. That's worship. Every part of our lives can be worship, can be service to the Lord. That's why Paul in another place says, you know, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all for Jesus. It's worship. It's service. And as believers in Christ Jesus, as the covenant people of God, we are called to worship God, but we worship God by the Spirit. Every single one of us have the Spirit of God living inside of us who enables us to worship God. The Holy Spirit enables us to choose the things that God wants us to choose. He enables us to do the things that God wants us to do. He empowers us to develop the character of Jesus. We are able to do this worship as the covenant people of God to the glory and honor of God because of the Spirit of God inside of us. So that's the first dynamic. The second dynamic is that we glory in Christ Jesus. Glory is about boasting in something. Uh, I oftentimes say for the, the young people that are on the worship team there, I glory in the young people on our worship team. They're talented, they really love the Lord. They're seeking to honor him and serve him. And I glory in that. I boast in that. I brag about them every chance I get to everybody I can can talk about. I'm kind of worse than a parent with a kid, you know, and taking out the pictures or a grandparent and the kid. I'm always doing that. That is what it means to glory in something. I, I often boast about my wife and I glory in my wife. 
because she's such an amazing woman. I glory in you as a congregation because even though we're, we're, we're maybe small, we're also mighty. And I tell you, person per person, I would stack this church up against any church that I know of in terms of the quality of the people, the depth of the commitment, the love of Jesus, the giftedness, the passion, the fire. Uh, it's just amazing. And so I glory in City Temple. Uh, that's the way that Paul is using this word. And ultimately for us as believers, we are to glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our focus. Jesus is the one we exalt. Jesus is the one we adore. Always beware of somebody who claims to be a Christian but never mentions the name Jesus. <clears throat> I've seen this many, many times. I've been in many, many groups. And, and they'll be talking, and it's all God this, and God that, and God this, and God that. And that's okay to a certain degree. But if it's all God and no Jesus, then I wonder what God they're worshiping. If it's all God and no Jesus, then I really wonder if they know Jesus. And so we need to be listening to these things because as the people of God, the covenant people of God, we are those who glory in Jesus. We have a Savior God who became like one of us, who became incarnate, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross for our sins so we could have forgiveness, who rose bodily from the dead in victory over sin, death, and hell, who has reconciled us to the Father and caused us to be adopted into God's family so that now we are sons of God. Every single one of us, men and women, are sons of God. We're part of the family of God. Jesus is our older brother. He's not only our Lord and our Savior, He's also our older brother. Isn't that cool? I never had an older brother growing up until I knew Jesus. And Jesus is my older brother. I look up to Him. But I have a familial relationship with Him. This is true for us as the covenant people of God. We glory in Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And one day Jesus will come again and Jesus will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords and this whole world will be conformed to the will of God and one day we'll have a new heaven and a new earth and we'll live in that and we will honor Jesus with all of that and we will reign with Him as the covenant people of God. That's an amazing thing. It's amazing for us. We glory in Jesus. We boast in Jesus. Jesus is supreme. Buddha's not like Jesus. There's no Hindu God like Jesus. Moses is not like Jesus. Muhammad is certainly not like Jesus. Uh, uh, the Baha'i guys are not like Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. Jesus is unique. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is glorious. And that's what we glory in. And all of history culminates in Jesus. So as the covenant people of God, we are those who serve worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now Paul here, uh, often when you're reading Paul, 
he'll use a word and have two kind of meanings to the word. Uh, now, if you've read through the text, particularly if you read in the ESV as opposed to the New International Version, because the NIV gets it wrong, you'll see this word flesh come up many times. And when Paul is talking theologically and he uses the word flesh, what he's talking about is the sinful aspect of our humanity that resists God's goodwill. But in this context, he's primarily talking about the flesh. And I know some of us have more flesh than others. But that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the flesh, but when he uses that word, you can't quite get away from the idea with Paul that that's also part of that sinful aspect of our humanity. So Paul is saying here, effectively, that we, as the covenant people of God, do not and cannot put any confidence whatsoever in our flesh or our sinful humanity. There is nothing we can do in the flesh. There's nothing we can do in the flesh. It took me a long time to learn this as a believer, by the way. It took me a long time, even after I became a pastor, to learn this. I kept thinking, if I come up with a five-year plan, and I'm persuasive enough, and and I get the right things together, and I raise enough money, uh, and I do the right things, that everybody's going to follow, that we're going to lead thousands of people to Jesus, that the church is going to you know, multiply five, six, seven, ten times, you know, that I'll become one of those very wealthy guys you see on the TV all the time with a big house. You know, all this, this kind of stuff. You get in there when you're, a young, when you're a young pastor. And it didn't really take me too long to learn that, if, if, that I can put no confidence in my flesh. Because not only did God want to kill my flesh, but everybody in my church wanted to kill my flesh as well. You know, and when you get God and everybody else ganging up on you, you, you just might as well roll over and be dead, not play dead, just be dead, because it's going to happen. Because we can put no confidence in the flesh. Even though we have to work hard, even though God tells us to take responsibility for our lives, even though we're responsible to worship, even though we're responsible to grow in discipleship, even though we're responsible to share our faith, even though we're responsible to pray for the sick, even though we're responsible for all these things, we will not see any success in anything simply because we take our responsibility. It's not about our flesh. We don't glory in our flesh. We can't glory in our achievements. You know, the fact that I have a doctorate means nothing. The fact that I have a master's degree means nothing. The fact that I have an undergraduate degree means nothing. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God. It's all about what God wants to accomplish. It's all about what my Father does in me. It's like we looked last week and we saw with Timothy that Timothy served with Paul as a father serves, as a son serves with the Father. And for me, I serve my heavenly father as a son serves my father, not as an adult son, not as a mature son, not even as a teenage son, but as a baby son serving with my heavenly father. And if there's any success, if there's any glory, if there's anything good, it's all down to my father. It's not down to me at all. And we have to live our lives with that reality that we put no confidence in the flesh. 
Yes, it doesn't excuse us from taking responsibility, but at the end of the day, we know that the fruit, the outcomes, the result are all down to our Father and what He's doing in us. No matter what our accomplishments are, no matter what our achievements are. And I've seen this over the years. I have seen, I have met with pastors that I think, wow, you are one of the godliest people that I've ever met in my entire life, and they're leading a group of 15, 20 people. And I've seen some guys that are these mega church guys, and I think, how in the world did God ever allow you to lead 10 people, let alone 1,000? You know, and you scratch your head. I've seen business people who were intelligent, who were creative, uh, who were amazingly gifted, and have failure after failure after failure after failure. And I've also seen business people, when I talk to them, I think, wow, is there anything between your ears at all? And yet they're successful. And they thrive. And you don't understand. I've seen Christians who are walking the holiest life you can imagine and are suffering. And I've seen Christians who don't seem to suffer at all and yet are always living in the world. And you you can't explain these things. You can't say that God favors one and God doesn't favor the other. You can't determine what God is doing. You don't understand what God is doing. But one thing you can do is put no confidence in your flesh. Because at the end of the day, it's about your Father. It's about the Son, Jesus. And it's about the Holy Spirit living in you and working in you and working through you. And no matter whether you are successful or you think of yourself as a failure, you are the covenant people of God. And by the way, just as a side note, do not evaluate yourself based on what your eyes can see. You have no idea the impact that your life has in the kingdom of God. And you may not have any idea of the impact your life has in the kingdom of God until you stand before Him. And I guarantee you this, there will be some people that you might recognize right now and you might say, wow, that must be, he he must be like a super saint, she must be like a super saint because they have such a big ministry, they've written 35 books, they've done this, they've had this accomplishment, they've traveled in 172 nations of the world, uh, they've did this, done this, that, or the other thing, and, and they're, they're going to be there. And some of those people are going to be at the bottom. And you're going to see some people that looked like an absolute failure their entire life, and they're going to be honored by our Father because of their faithfulness And because they did what he asked them to do in a way that was sacrificial, and that act of sacrifice became the linchpin in his strategy to change a nation. So what can we do? We put no confidence in our flesh. It's not about us. It's about God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So putting no confidence in the flesh, we glorify in Jesus. We glory in Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. All the blessings, all the success, all the fruitfulness, that's a Jesus. 
And we live our lives serving the Lord, worshiping by the Spirit of God. Knowing that irrespective of our success or our failures, looking at the outcomes that we might see in our lives, that at the end of the day, we are the covenant people of God. And we have been redeemed by the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and we will reign on the earth with Jesus. And we celebrate that and we rejoice that God has called us to himself and enabled us to know him, filled us with his Holy Spirit, brought us into his family through Jesus the Son, and has become our Father who cherishes us as his children. Father God, thank you so much. We honor you. We praise you. We put no confidence in our flesh. Lord, we don't look at the size of our church. We don't look at the size of our bank account. We don't look at the number of people that we have supposedly saved. We don't look at the number of people who have been healed that we've prayed for. We don't look at the number of verses of the Bible that we've memorized. We don't look at the number of hours we spend on our knees in prayer. We don't look at all the stuff that we do for you or for other people. We look to you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We look to you, Holy Spirit, who enables us to live fully in service to God every day of our lives. We look to you, Father, because you love us tenderly. No matter how successful we are, no matter how beautiful we are, no matter how much we struggle, you love us. And it's amazing to us. It is extraordinary. And Father... We thank you for this. But putting no confidence in our flesh, we also cry out to you because we know there are at least 7.5 million people within 15 miles of where we are right now who don't know Jesus. And Father, we want them to come to faith in Jesus. We want you to lead us to them one by one to share the good news of Jesus with them. In our workplaces, on the street, on the bus, in the tube, in the coffee shops. We cry out to you for this outpouring of your Holy Spirit that you promised to us. We need it so desperately. We love you. We worship you. We praise you. We adore you. We thank you. Father, as we worship you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, inspire us, encourage us, strengthen us, lift us up, that we might draw closer and closer to you, through your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we glory. Amen.